0: You are listening to Overcomer's Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. The Lord, uh, I had a whole message planned out, and then he told me we're going to do something different, and uh, I'm going to share on something different. And I just kept kept hearing about the Lord and and provision and the Lord providing for us and us knowing that he is our provider. And we might know that in terms of like, oh yeah, we know that God's our provider, but do we know it on a personal level? Because He's not just He's not just the 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 Creator, the provider, but He's your Father, the provider. And there's a big difference between how we relate to him on those levels. And, you know, as the creator, he created the whole world that we live in. And, uh, you know, there are some people like agnostics kind of uh, have a view of like, well, it was possibly or maybe or probably created by someone or something greater than us, but he doesn't really have any anything to do with my life. And I, I would propose to you that a lot of Christians are like Christian agnostics, and they, they believe that God created and they believe that everything came into existence into being because of him, but they don't feel like it's personal for them. I'm here to tell you that God is a personal God. He personally relates to us. And the whole idea uh, behind what Jesus did was to provide a way for us to have a relationship with him through being sons and daughters of him, not just being his creation, Not just being His creation, and I would say this, that before Adam and Eve uh, sinned, before the, the fall came, that they had a pretty good understanding of this. I would say that they probably lived in a perfect understanding of this. But as soon as they fell, the image of them became more real than the image of God their Father. And this is why they turned and they went and hid themselves, because they couldn't stand the sight of their own issues. And so when Jesus came, it says that he was the firstborn among many brethren. And what that means is that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so in the same likeness, all of us would be raised from the dead out of our old stuff. And the goal is, isn't that we just get saved, but it's we realize how saved we are. Because once we get an understanding of what we've stepped into, what we've become, had an inheritance in, and what we have an inheritance in, it changes the way that we relate to the Lord. So we don't relate to them or we shouldn't relate to them based off of who we used to be, but it's on who we are now. And I had this discussion recently with some um, dear brothers in the Lord about Ash Wednesday because, uh, unfortunately, I was completely ignorant of what it meant. I didn't grow up having any understanding about it and uh, it wasn't something we did as a family. I didn't do it in any churches and, you know, the whole ash on the forehead. And so uh, just in ignorance, but wanting to know, I said, what does this mean? And they proceeded to instruct me on what it meant. And the basis of what I could conclude is that uh, <clears throat> it was a, a recognition of our, uh, of our natural self and of the fact that we are sinful, but there was still a grabbing a hold of, from what I could hear, of us still being sinners. But I've got news for you. You and I, once we put our trust in Christ, we are no longer sinners anymore, We are saved by grace. We have been justified, set apart, made right in our place in the family of God. Do we still sin? Yeah. I think everybody could attest to that, that we still miss the mark from time to time. And praise God, the more mature we get in our relationship with the Lord, the hope is is that it's farther and few between the times that we sin, that we miss it, and that we miss the mark. But you know, you didn't become a sinner because you sinned. You sinned because you were a sinner. Your nature was sinful. Christ died, gave you a new nature. Now the old man is dead, buried, gone, and we should have no more communication with the old man anymore. That would really be trying to talk to the dead, and that wouldn't be a good thing. The old old man needs to be left in the grave and not be digging him up and, and, and us trying to identify. We need to identify with the new man, not the old man because that's how Christ made us. And so this new uh, man, this new way that we have with the Lord, it is the way that we relate to God. And it's not on any merit that we have. It's on everything that He has. You know, to be spiritually minded is life and peace, but to be carnally minded is death. And so to be carnally minded is to think of ourselves only in natural terms. To be spiritually minded is to think of ourselves as spiritual people, true sons and daughters of the King. And you know what I found out when I read uh, about the prodigal son is that the whole time the prodigal son was out doing his prodigal living, the father was waiting and longing and looking afar off for the son to return. And do you know that that son didn't have to do anything to reclaim his place as a son in the father's house? Because His sonship had nothing to do with his performance. It had everything to do with his birth. And when you get born into the kingdom, you don't lose your sonship based off of your performance because you're doing stuff wrong. If you're doing stuff wrong, you're going to find yourself living with the pigs. Don't do stuff wrong. It's not good for you. It doesn't look good on you. But even if you have, it doesn't change your position with the Lord. To be spiritually minded is to identify with who we are now in Christ. To be carnally minded is to identify with the way things used to be. One of the biggest lies that the enemy has, uh, has perpetrated on the body of Christ is that, in one way it could be phrased, is that we're an old sinner saved by grace. I am not an old sinner saved by grace. I am saved by grace and I am a new man. Because if you're still an old sinner, you haven't been saved by grace. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 and let me show you a couple things. And then we're going to go to Luke chapter 11. And I gave um, the guys back there about 15 Bible verses for the other lesson. And then i did not going to do anything to do with that right now. We're going to do that a different time. So, Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to do my best to keep this very concise uh, for time's sake, uh, but also I'm going to try to keep my reading. Uh, precise, but one of the most challenging things that i um, that I encounter with trying to bring about truths is that oftentimes that we will uh, look at just certain portions of scripture and develop doctrine out of one or two verses and context I say this all the time context is king. you have to understand things in their context, otherwise you know if you have context and you take uh, the text out of context, all you're left with is a con. And so if you take any part of the text out of context, the enemy has conned you for what the Lord's original intent of what that verse is talking about. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 here. Oh my God, this is all so good. I don't really know how to read just a few verses, but I am going to do it. I'm going to stay disciplined in Jesus' name and just read a few. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 and 2, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Can I get a big amen? Amen. Now understand something. This is on the heels of what has been known, or I have known to be, one of the most confusing passages in the entire Bible. If you go back and read Romans chapter 7, it looks like Paul was a nutcase. Because he said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? And so that's largely been taken to say and to have this idea of like, well, we just can't help it. The things that we want to do, we don't end up doing. And the things that we, you know, we just can't ever get it right. And people have used that and be like, I'm just like the Apostle Paul. That's not what he was, what he was saying. The point he was making in Romans chapter 7 is that it is impossible in your natural ability to live the life that God has called us to live in Christ Jesus. You cannot do it. And if you have a focus on your natural ability, it will ruin you from your faith and trust in the way that Christ has made you because you'll only be looking at your ability, your performance in the natural and not trusting in the spirit and who he has truly made you. So it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're reading the nearly inspired version, and I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. I do like the NIV. It's got some good stuff. However, they omit the next phrase, which is incorrect, and they shouldn't have done that. The next phrase says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Because here's the deal, is that scriptures parallel. And it says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. So it's parallel. The the opposite is also true, that if you walk according to the flesh, then there is condemnation, even for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know why? Because your flesh will always condemn you and tell you that you are not doing good enough. Remember, this is on the heels of Romans chapter 7, where he said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I end up doing. He was talking about an operation in a life that was manifesting and deriving and foundationally was in the works of the flesh. And most of the time when people think about the works of the flesh, they think about sinful things. And it can include that. But I would, I would say this, that when he's talking about walking in the, the spirit and thinking spiritually minded, he's really talking about relating to the life that we now have in Christ and not relating to any natural ability or inability that we have and not relating to the old man which is dead and buried and gone and we should no longer reckon to that old man. That's what he's talking about when he's talking about walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This can't be talking, this law of sin and death cannot be talking about that once you sin, then you physically die. And the reason we know that is because everybody in this room is a sinner or has sinned. Let me rephrase that. Has sinned but yet you're still alive physically. So it's not talking about you sin and then you you experience physical death. This is talking about you sin and then when you're sinning, and you could use that in a very broad sense, but if you're thinking in terms of your ability, whether it's good or bad, you're thinking in terms of your ability and your natural ability, it causes death. What does death mean? It means separation from Remember what Adam and Eve did. Adam and Eve separated themselves from God. God didn't separate himself from them. When they very first sinned, what did they do? They went and hid themselves. They covered themselves, and then they hid themselves because they couldn't face God in their current state the way that they were. Guess what? We couldn't have faced God in the state we were before Christ but we're not in that state anymore. We have a new nature. We have an inheritance that's in Christ that we have all the boldness to go and go right into the very throne room of grace and receive grace and mercy in our time of need. We won the spiritual lottery, folks. And we didn't even have to buy a ticket. All you have to do is say, yes, I believe that. It was actually Jesus won the spiritual lottery and there was so much that he said, I'm making this available to all the world. All you got to do is just come and put your trust in me, and it's totally available to you. What a deal. (laughs) And I want to read, I want to jump down to, um, oh my God, this is all so good. Let's just read a little bit here. Can we do that? It says, for the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requ- requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What's he talking about? Is he, just talk- is he talking about uh, living not a sinful life or uh, you know, living a sinful life? No, he's talking about what you're trusting in. He's talking about how you see yourself according to how God has made you. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his, but everyone who's been born again does have the spirit of Christ, so you are God's. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the same Spirit who raised Christ, Jesus Christ from the dead, or Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Praise God. Now, here's the verses I really want to get to right here. Therefore, brethren, we are, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, you have no debt to live at any kind of standard. You are not indebted to live at a standard for God to be pleased with you, to love you, to accept you, or you to remain in His good graces. The debt's been canceled. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. You know what death, You know what death is to me? See, most of the time, I've heard this preach, and it's like, if you're living in the flesh,) yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're giving way to the devil, and it's going to kill you. And it's like, okay, well, there, there definitely is place for that, but look at it in context. What is he talking about living according to the flesh? He's talking about living at a mere level of your own performance, thinking that you can relate to God based on your performance. And you know what that'll do? That will kill you. I lived for years feeling like I I couldn't do this and I had to do this and I needed to look this way and I had to think this way. And it was this huge performance weight on me that made me want to throw in the towel every single day. And then when I got a hold of grace, or better put, when grace got a hold of me, it caused me to go to the Lord and say, You know what, Jesus, I'm done with the performance thing. I'm done walking in the flesh and I'm going to walk in the spirit because in the spirit, for those who walk in the spirit who are in Christ Jesus there's no condemnation. I don't live condemned. I don't believe in living condemned. Living in condemnation is antichrist. You know what you want to know what the spirit of antichrist does? It will cause you to live in condemnation. It will make you feel like you can never measure up. And there's an element of truth in that because the reality is, is that you can't measure up. But the other side of that coin is is that Jesus has measured up and he's done more than enough for us. Hallelujah. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not, now here it is, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You know what adoption says? It says that He chose you before you chose Him. But once you choose Him, then His choosing becomes you and you belong to Him. And now all the benefits that come from adoption belong to you. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you're having any kind of, uh, quote, bearing witness on the inside of you that you don't belong to the Lord, it's a false spirit, it's a wrong spirit, it's not accurate, and if if it has anything to do with your performance, you can go ahead and write Ichabod over that, which means the glory has departed. There is no glory in our performance. There's only glory in Jesus' performance. Now listen to this, and it says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. And the suffering is talking about just coming to the end of yourself. It's dying to yourself. But notice this. It says that if we are heirs, then we are joint heirs with Christ. Do you know you can have an inheritance that would come to you, just say in the natural, and you could have a and i don't know there could be different reasons why people might do this but if you had a parent that said i want you know you got a million dollars and i want you know you got three kids and i want one of the kids to have 500,000 and i want one of the kids to have 400,000 and then i want one of them to have 100,000 so if that was the case they would all be heirs but they wouldn't be joint heirs they would just be heirs they would receive some kind of an inheritance but a joint heir would look like this i have three kids, and every single asset that I have all goes to all of the kids equally. But here's the deal. I've got a million dollars, and they all get a million dollars. That doesn't make sense, does it? Sometimes in the spirit, things just don't make sense. How is it that we have all the same benefits that Jesus had? I don't know, but we do. You know why? Because we are a joint heir, which means every single thing that Jesus has, we also have. Now, I want to show you something. Go to Luke chapter 1. And man, the Lord was just really bringing this home to me uh, last night and this morning. Go to, excuse me, Luke chapter 11. I think I said Luke 1, Luke chapter 11. Let me tell you something that the Lord shared with me. As far as a a child of God is concerned, an immature mentality would lead to only going to God to get our needs met. So if someone is just immature in their thinking, in their relationship with the Lord, they would only go to the Lord to get their needs met. And that's not bad to go to the Lord to get your needs met. But if that's the only reason, then that would be immature because we should just go to the Lord just because he's good. I love it when my kids come to me and say, Dad, I need something. And I'm like, thank God they came to me. But I really, really love it when they come to me and say, let's play a card game, or let's go fishing, or let's just hang out. Amen? There's something about as children get older and they become more mature that they just become, they're there just to be with you. and They don't need anything from you. So to only stay in a place of going to the Lord to get something would be a place of immaturity. But listen to this. An orphan mentality would lead to never going to God to get our needs met see you don't you cannot be orphaned but still think like an orphan whenever the uh, communism fell in Russia, which I would question whether it really fell, but anyways uh, whenever it fell and it did on some level uh, was it thousand nine hundred and eighty nine so People before that were told, and I'm just using this as an example, Russia is an example, there's many places that are like this, but they were told where to work, they were told where to live, basically how much money they were going to have, where they were going to buy their groceries. All of those things were predetermined for them. And then what happened is that when communism fell on the other side of that, the people were free, but they didn't know how to buy groceries. They didn't know how to get a job. They didn't know how to find a place to live because they were free people but didn't think like free people so they couldn't take advantage of the freedom that they had. My God. We are free people, free sons and daughters of the king, but oftentimes we still think like people that are in bondage because we don't realize what we have and we don't take advantage of what we have rightly. We don't have to do anything for it other than, yes, Jesus, I'm yours. You're mine. I belong to you. That's it. That's all we got to do. But sometimes we've come. what's happened is that we've come out of the world, but not all the world has come out of, the, out of the man. We've taken the man out of the world, but not all the world out of the man. We still think like mere men. We don't think like sons of God. And I say we, I'm including me. We have, we have to like grow and continue and, and mature out of this. But we have to begin to see ourselves differently, see, see ourselves the way that God sees us. He doesn't see us as sinners. He doesn't see see us as one's becoming sons. We are sons. You don't have a child that gets born into this world and go, well, um, I, I will call you a son, but you're going to have to prove yourself to me for the next 20 years. And then maybe you can step into your sonship in my life. We would never do that. But yet sometimes when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, we feel like we really don't have it all available to us because we haven't proven ourselves well enough. Jesus proved it all for us. He did it all for us. He was the firstborn among many brethren. And then it says that we are His, we have the same inheritance. We are joint heirs with Him. Incredible. Look at this. And the Lord was really driving this home to me. In Luke chapter 11, and I want to read in verse one and read a few verses, or are you all with me? It says, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say. Now I like to compare scripture with scripture. Uh, Matthew chapter six has the same instance, or the same recording. Um, And he says, Pray in this manner. So sometimes people want to repeat a prayer thinking that they're getting something from God and enter right back into a performance mentality because they're praying a prayer. So when he says, Say this, what's interesting is that in Matthew's account, he has different wording. He actually has more in there than he does in Luke's account. It's not about the particular words, it's about the heart behind it as you're praying. It's about the faith behind it as you're praying. And we're not praying. To our Creator here, we're praying to the Father. Jesus says, pray like this. Say these words. And what's the very first thing He says? He says, our Father. I'm going to read this whole passage here, and then I'm going to come back and talk about these things very briefly. It says, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive, forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I want you to notice something. Remember, context is king. Go to the next verse, and it almost appears, and if you were there, I bet the, the disciples were going, what's he talking about now? We're very confused. But Jesus was making a, a comparison between how you would pray to a father and what, a, what I would consider to be a pretty rotten friend. And it says, And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, I've, I've heard, now you got to remember, we just read, our Father which art in heaven, right? And so then it switches over to this. And I remember hearing somebody say one time, yeah, I probably shared this story before, but this guy, his wife was going through something, and I called him and said, hey, what can we do? And he said, well, you know, basically it's not anything that medicine can't fix at this point, but if it gets bad enough, we'll camp out on God's doorstep and hopefully he'll do something for us. And I remember thinking, my God, that is totally wrong. Well, he got that idea from this passage. This isn't saying this is how God is. This is saying this is how God is not. It's saying even a rotten friend would eventually do something for you. But oftentimes when people pray, they pray to the Lord thinking that he will never do anything for them. But Jesus said, when you pray, pray, our father, he's the best dad. And it goes right back in. And Jesus brings more understanding, goes right back in. And he says, so I say to you, verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This isn't saying sometimes God is like a really honorary friend and sometimes he's a good father. No, it's saying he's always a good father and he's never like this honorary friend. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. For if a son asks for, for uh, bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? A rotten friend might, but a father would never do that. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Of course not. Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And the answer is no. If you then being evil, and if there was any father that would say yes, then we should report you to the authorities because you're no father. You're at best a rotten friend. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You have an inherent right as children of the king to go to your father because he's not just the king, he is your father. And he owns the whole kingdom. And all of the of, of availability and the ability to provide for your needs is well within His means. And if we would see ourselves in that position and see Him not in a position of like, you know, looking over the rails of heaven thinking, hmm, nah, I don't think so. You know, I think sometimes people look at God like He's, a, like he's a Two-Faced. Remember that character 2 face on Batman? He was the coin flipper, right? Yeah? Is that the coin flipper? Yeah. Yeah, and he was like, you know, he would capture somebody, and he was like, do I kill you or do I not? We'll let you live. Oh, get rid of that one. I think people look at God like that sometimes. They can will well, throw a prayer up, and hopefully he'll meet my need. No, he is a father. He's a father. He's the greatest father. He's the perfect father. So go back to Luke chapter. One in verse two, it says, when you pray, our Father in heaven, here are the things that he will, he will give and provide for you. He'll He'll provide for your daily bread. Let me tell you something. Let me give you a, a quick adjacent word here. Joseph Z. Prof, prophesied, I think it was in 2020, was a year and a half, two years ago, something like that, that there was coming food shortage. You know that um, <laughs> the guy in office, uh has actually said that there's probably coming a food shortage and we've been hearing these things and I don't I don't know if it will happen. I hope it doesn't. Let me just give you a little bit of wisdom. Have enough food for you and your family for a month, two months and maybe for your neighbors. It's not a bad idea. And I've had people before they're like, are you into all that prepping thing? Well I mean, you know, look at the like the 10 virgins and the oil and you know some were prepared and some weren't prepared. So there can be just some very natural preparation that could be a good thing. But with all that being said, with everything that is happening and could happen, and much of it probably will, our trust and hope is in the Lord. It's not in our natural provision. This is why we go to Him and say, Father, we've got needs here. And Jesus was praying this, and He prayed it probably different than I would pray it. But the heart there is still, Father, I have these needs. You should go to the Lord for your needs because He wants to meet your needs more than you want your needs to be met. Hallelujah. And then he goes on and talks about forgiveness to us uh, and to others. God, God, he's already granted you forgiveness through the cross. If you're having trouble forgiving somebody else, you can go to the Lord and say, God, help me with that person. And, and I love these last two things here. Freedom from temptation or to be delivered from temptation. You know, temptation will come. And uh, actually, the cross doesn't promise that we won't have temptation, but it does promise the strength to overcome or to surpass or to run or to flee from temptation. And God will give you strength. If you're dealing with any kind of temptation, it could be some horrible sin or it could just be some mindset, whatever it is, pray to your Father to help you get past it, and He will be faithful to do so. He is faithful to do so. And the last thing here, which is really one of the first things He prayed here, is He said... um, on earth as it is in heaven, and really what we should be praying is that heaven's agenda is in manifestation. You have, you, now listen, not, not just me as the pastor. It's not my job to pray that heaven come to earth for everybody. It's my job to pray that heaven come to earth for this church and for my own personal home. But you, for your own personal home, can pray that heaven's agenda, that heaven's power, that heaven's light, that God's ability, that his strength, that his anointing, that his favor, all of the blessing of heaven rests upon your home. You, as a son, as a daughter, have the ability to pray and see God's provision in your own home, in your own life, in your own marriage, in your own house, in your own business, it doesn't matter what's happening in the world. It doesn't matter what's happening with the, the economy. It doesn't matter what's happening with the job numbers. You are a son, you are a daughter of the king. Period. And you have every right. You have every my kids have every right to hop up in the chair and say, "Feed me." I prefer that they say, "Please." But they have a right as my children to come and ask, Dad, I need this. Even, Dad, I want this. And as long as it's within my, my natural ability at the moment and it's good for them, it's theirs. There's so much that I want to say, and I'm out of time. How do you know what things that you can pray for? First of all, you if there's any need in your life, spiritual, emotional, physical, mental, relational. I mean, anything you could think of, the Lord automatically, He wants you to have it. But in general, here's how you can know whether it's right to pray something or not. If Jesus provided it in the atonement, He didn't do it so you couldn't have it. It's already yours for the taking. Trust in God's provision for you, but more than His provision, trust His heart for you to have it. I would quicker. I would quicker question God's ability than I would question His willingness. You say you don't think God can do it? Of course He can do it. He's God. He created everything with His words through faith of the picture that was in His heart. So He created visible things out of invisible things. It's just not anything God can't do. That's just how much I believe in His willingness. I would quicker question his ability than I would question his willingness. He's more than willing. Hallelujah. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociparibow.com.